Very good. Well, here we are in Acts chapter 1. And, and um, you know, as we're going through this year and we're talking about as a church, you know, we, 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 we just want to make sure that we understand that we want to be the church and the church that God has intended us to be, that individually we're doing our part as the local church because we are the body of Christ. Everybody say amen. You know, when he left, he left us in charge of something, and that's to continue something that he started when he gave his life for us. And so this morning, um, for the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at We Care About the Movement, because I want us to see and I want us to to retrain our brain, if you will, of, of what the church is. And so I want us to see, and I was several years ago, uh, many years ago, seven years ago, maybe I, I read Andy Stanley's book uh, called uh, Big Church. And if you never read that book, and of course, he's got a small, small group Bible study. It's a really good one. And we did it uh, many, many, many years ago. But, um, um, you know, the church is a movement. Everybody say amen. And, and you know, I think oftentimes we, we think of church, again, and I don't want to just um, keep saying the same thing over again, and I know that you know this, but, you know, a church isn't a building. Everybody right? But instead, a church is something a whole lot more than that, and it's a movement. It's a movement. And do you know what a movement is? Y'all, when I say when it's a movement, do we understand that? You know, we turn on the news or we pick up our newspaper, and there's all kinds of movements out there today. You know, there's gays have their movements, um, animal uh, rights people, they have their their movements. I mean, just about anything um, that people can get around, you you can see a movement. You know, there's liberal um, movements, there's conservative movements. There's all kinds of movements. But what I want us to understand, and, and when we, we're not we're saying that, that ch- the church is a moment, and here's a movement, this is what we're saying this morning, is that mo- movements are built around a message. It's built around a truth. And the whole idea about the church being a movement, a movement or what a movement is, 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 that, is that a movement moves. And 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 we want people to get involved in that movement. And that mo- movement or that truth is is that Jesus Christ is King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Everybody say Amen. We we want to understand that that movement isn't about us, but it's all about Jesus, and it's all about people who need to know the grace and the mercy of Jesus Christ. That movement is a conviction. It is a conviction about a truth of who Jesus is and what He came to do. And when we look back here in the book of Acts and that there were 12 disciples and we see in Acts chapter one, it talks about Christ who had began something and he expected the disciples to continue something. What did he what did he want? He wanted them to continue. He wanted them to move and to reach people for the Lord Jesus Christ. And so. Oftentimes, we look at church as just a, um, a sanctified place that we come and we worship. And, you know, I'm glad that we had this building, everybody. Yes? And, and we do come here and we corporately worship. And just right down the road, and I was up there yesterday, we're building a brand-new facility. And uh, it's coming along great, by the way. And so you keep praying and praying and praying. They're going to be pouring the rest of the slab on Tuesday. And then in the next weeks to come, in about five weeks, we'll see the metal 
panel all the way up, all the concrete poured, and hopefully seeing some R panel going up along with the stucco in it. So it's, it's an exciting time for us. And it's important that we have a place to meet and to worship, to come, because we need a place to come worship God together, to, together corporately and have our ministries and do all those things. But if you go back into history... If you go back into history and you look at this word church, and again, I I want you to understand this and and to know this, when we come across this word church, um, it's the word ecclesia that we find in the Greek. Remember, when the Holy Spirit wrote the New Testament to us, the majority of it was written in Greek. And so there have been translators from all that time translated into different languages. And so when you come across that word, ecclesia, that's the Greek word, and it means a called out assembly of people, but called around a truth. That's what the Greek word means. The word church, us, we're the body of Christ. This is the local church. We are a assembly of people called out around a truth. But over the years, a terrible thing happened, and people began to think of a church as a place that you went to for religious services. And, you know, I think we fight that concept um, internally sometimes because we have that picture of both in our mind, and I think we also fight it generationally. And here's a reason why, is because our English word church comes not from the Greek word ecclesia, but it comes from the German word kirch which meant a sacred place where you gather for religious purposes. Now, follow me here. Now, that shift in thinking changes the fundamental way people relate to the church. And I think it plays with our minds sometimes. And I think that sometimes we fight that internally. But I want you to understand, if nothing else this morning, that 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 our that church our message is a, moment, a movement that we must move, that we must do something about. And that is that we've got to care about people. We've got to care about each other. We've got to care about the lost. We've got to care about what Jesus wants for us and wants us to do. Everybody say amen. It's a, mo- a movement that we've got to move. Now, throughout the dark and middle ages, people went to church. And it was a place you attended or an event you sat through rather than a movement that you were part of. And so the church became an institution that essentially provided services for people and was controlled by powerful people who used it to serve their own interest. And again, I think even today we fight with those same struggles and that cycle. But then something awesome happened after the Middle Ages. And that is God raised up a group of people called the Reformers. And there was a bunch of them, and there was a different time span of these Reformers, but there was one such man, and his name was William Tyndall. William Tyndall. And he played a great part in this Reformation period. And, and, and he was convicted by the message of Jesus Christ, and it was his desire for God to use him to, to, to for the first time, to translate the Greek text and the Hebrew text into the English language. And he was so convicted, and he understood, and the Holy Spirit led him such a way, because knowing the way it was during the Dark Ages and the Middle Ages, that a reformation needed to happen, that God put upon his heart that every time he come across this word, ecclesia, 
which means a called out assembly of people around this conviction or this message of Jesus Christ, right? That whenever he come across that word, that he didn't use the word church because the people knew in England at that time that the word church meant uh, institution, authority. It, it meant, it meant um, people trying to have um, a certain authority over you, and, and they didn't want you to, to know what God's word said. And so God chose this man, and he convinced this man to, to whenever he saw this word, ecclesia, to use the word congregation. Now, William, William Tyndale, he was an amazing guy, and he was devoted to this cause. And he had this great conviction, of course, and it says that during his trial, and of course, the, the Church of England and the Roman Catholic Church, they tried to stop him. And of course, charges were brought to him, and he was placed on trial. But he said this, Tyndall said this, he says, if God spares my life ere many years, he says, I will cause the boy that drives the plow to know more of the scriptures than you do, talking to the people in the court. And as he was being burned at the stake, these were his last recorded words. He said, Lord, open the king of England's eyes. He completed that translation. And if you have an English Bible today, it's because God answered the prayers of William Tyndale. It's because William Tyndale knew that church wasn't some institution where we came just to have ministry and to be serviced and for us to come and fill whatever it is that we want to fill. But instead, church is a movement and a movement moves. And he gave his life. So if you've got an English Bible today, it's because someone knew that the church was a movement. And I ask you this morning, do you live your life in such a way that you know that the church is not just some place and it's not just something for us to feel good about? It's not just a routine for us to go through, but instead the church itself is a movement. Do you know that? Do you know that? And let me ask you this. Are you moving like William Tyndale? Are you, are you moving? And we're going to talk just a little bit about what that means to move as a church, okay? So if you will, open your Bibles to Acts chapter, two, Acts chapter 1, and I want us to look at verses 1. I want us to go all the way through verse 11, okay? Acts chapter 1, verse 11. And remember when we pick up this text, remember that Jesus had resurrected from the dead and uh, remember, he had gathered all of his disciples together. We'll read that here in a minute in this text. He had, he had, he had, he had resurrected. He, he was upon this earth for 40 days. And then, of course, we know that he ascended. The book of Acts is written by Luke. It's the very same author who wrote the gospel of Luke. Okay? And so we see Luke recording the history of the early church. The, the book of Acts is really an overview of all the epistles. And so Luke is given an account of the early church. And so, again, Jesus has resurrected from the dead. He has come. He has already gathered the disciples. We'll see that here in a minute where, he, where Luke recounts that. And he gives them something very important. And I want us to see how we can see that the church is a movement and two things that we can do to make sure in our lives that we're part of that movement. All right? Acts chapter 1, verse 1, it says, the first account I composed. So this is Luke, and so he is, he is writing, and he is saying, 
I first, my, the first account I composed, so he's talking that he's already written the Gospel of Luke. That's what that means, because he's already written the Gospel of Luke. It was already published among the churches at that time. And then he says, Theophilus. Now, who is Theophilus? Well, we don't really know for sure, but we think that he was, most, he was Roman because of his name. He was Greek, you see. But he was probably um, somebody... Um, of Roman officiality, if you will. And so he's writing this, and he's, and then he says about, and he says, this is my second composed account, and he says about all that Jesus, what's that next word? Began. You see, Jesus started something, and that was the movement around the message, around the gospel, around the good news of Jesus Christ. And to do and teach until the day when he was taken up to heaven and he had by the Holy Spirit. And again, Luke's given his account of what had happened by the Holy Spirit, given orders to the apostles whom he had chosen. So it started with Jesus and these 12. What about this message about what Jesus was going to do? But now that he's done it and now the disciples were to go and to move and to grow around this message, this good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do you see it right in front of us? And he says, to these he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God, gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised, which he said, you heard of me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Now, if you have a red uh, Bible, of course, that's written in red, and these are the very words of Jesus Christ, because he said that back in the Gospels. So when they had come together, they were asking him, saying, and again, Luke's given the record of that conversation. And they said, Lord, is it at this time you are restoring the kingdom of Israel? And look at his answer in verse 7. And Jesus said to them, it is not for you to know times or, or epochs which the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the uttermost parts of the earth. And then notice the ascension in verse 9. And after he had said these things, he was lifted up while they were looking on, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And as they were gazing intensely into the sky while he was going, behold, two men in white clothing stood beside them. And they also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? This Jesus who, is, who, is, who has been taken up from you into heaven will come in just the same way as you have watched him go to heaven. Hmm. Father, we love you and we thank you for our Bibles. We thank you, Lord, um, for the word of God that we have and that every, every bit of it is truth and it's incorruptible. And Lord, that it's, there's no mistakes. And so, Lord, we pray this morning that you'll just help us to be the kind of disciples and Christians um, that you want us to be. And Lord, um, that we'll learn some truths about ourselves this morning of, of how we can just manage our lives and have the conviction of living out this movement, this message of Jesus Christ 
in our everyday lives, that we'll be convicted to do so um, and, and not feel ashamed about it. We love you and we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this morning, let's just look at um, two things that we can do to enforce the fact that um, we're part of this movement. Two important things about the movement. Number one, write this down. Number, number one is that the message arrests our hearts and mind. Everybody look at me. The message of Jesus Christ should arrest us. Now, I chose this word arrest because I think it's a very strong word. I think it's a very, very strong word. You know, um, um, I don't know, um, you know, um, arrest, arresting scares me to death. I don't know about you. Um, has anybody been arrested? Now, that's a rhetorical question. Please, please. I don't want to know. I don't want to know. Nell, you... Well, just tell me about it after church sometime, okay? All right. Thank you very much. But, uh, you know, you know, when you think about this, about this word arrest, my goodness, now, we've got to really know about this, you know? Wow. But, um, you, you know, um, 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 I, I don't know, you know, being, a, you know, that, that arresting, and I think that's what God wants us to be. And if we're going to be part of the, this, this movement that, that uh, takes the word of God, the, the, the message of Jesus Christ, that Jesus rose from the grave, that he's king of kings, that he is God himself, that he come to this world and he died in place for our sins and that he rose from the grave and, 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 that, and that he ascended into heaven and that he's coming back one day. But if you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you could have everlasting life. And if you put your faith in grace in God that he's going to take care of you. And if you walk by faith and you take your cross and, and you, you know, you, and you know that, that there's no other gospel in which man shall be saved except by the name of Jesus Christ. I mean, you got that message. And, and remember, here's the disciples and the whole time in the gospels, they followed Jesus. They messed up over and over again, but now they get to this point in Acts and something changes. You know what changed? They got arrested. Their hearts and their mind were arrested because of the message of Jesus Christ. They believed that there was no replacement for it. They believed that it was the truth. Now, again, if you're reading these verses, that they saw proofs that he rose from the grave. They they got to see these proofs. And, and so their hearts and their minds were arrested, and they couldn't even sleep at night. They had to go out and be about God's business. And that church didn't just sit in one place and get catered to, they took that message as a responsibility to take to the whole known world. Did you know today there are more Christians living on this globe than there ever has been in the history of the world? Do you know why? Do you know why? It's because the church is a movement and people got serious and they were, their hearts and their minds were arrested. You know, you, you take somebody who's been arrested and, um, and, and you know what happens is, is first they're captured, right? And they're handcuffed and they can't get away. What happens is, is, is their will is taken away and then they're taken to the, to the, to the police station and they're fingerprinted and, and their, their mugshots are taken. And if you're lucky enough, I guess you get strip shirt. I don't know 
strip shirts. But, but I mean, you know, I mean, it's a, it's a humiliating thing, right? And so, so that's how it is for us as Christians. I mean, when we accept Jesus Christ as Savior, and just like going back in the, our hearts and minds should be arrested that, look, this is what Jesus did. We should be captured by it. It should be the thing that means the most to us. Just like these disciples. I mean, I, I, I kind of think back and I, I think about this whole scene and it's kind of crazy. I mean, here's the disciples and here's everybody around Jesus and, and, and he's ascending to heaven and Jesus is kind of going. And I know I'm just adding some drama to it here because I have three daughters and a, and a wife. And so I'm used to adding drama to things. But, uh, um, 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 you know, I, I kind of I see Jesus kind of going up and he's kind of saying, he's on the ground and he's saying, okay, you disciples. He says, uh, he says um, I'm leaving now. I want you to be witnesses for me, and I want you to reach the whole world. That's a big deal. I mean, that's a big deal. And so I'm kind of thinking as Jesus is ascending up to heaven, I'm kind of thinking that the disciples are kind of going, hey, hey, whoa, whoa, what? (laughs) You know, the whole world? God, do you know how big the whole world is? And Jesus is kind of saying, "Uh, yeah, I'm up here. I can can see, and it's a whole lot bigger than what y'all think it is. But nevertheless, they couldn't sit around and the job couldn't be completed. Again, Jesus began it. It says in verse 1, and the disciples took that and their hearts and their minds were arrested for the cause of Christ. So I think the first part about a movement is, is our minds and our hearts must be captured. They must be arrested you know, I think back in about our text and some other verses of Scripture. You know, um, this was the most, for the disciples and for their hearts and their minds to be arrested, this, this was the most important message ever given because it was the only hope for salvation. And they got that. Do you, do you get that? Jesus had said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And these apostles believed that. Do you believe that? Peter would summarize the apostles' message in Acts chapter 4, verse 12, that there's no other name in which man shall be called into salvation except by the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I think about, we'll see here in a couple of weeks, because we're going to kind of go through Acts a little bit for the next four or five weeks, but... You know, when they dragged the apostles in front of the Sanhedrins and told them that if they didn't shut up about Jesus, that they would kill him, you know what the disciples said? They said, do what you got to do, because we're going to keep talking about Jesus. Because their hearts were arrested. They were captured. Their minds were captured. They were arrested by the message of Jesus Christ. Are our hearts and minds really arrested about Jesus, arrested about Jesus Christ? So here's my question. Do you believe this testimony? Has it captured you until you can't shut up about it? Are you willing to go anywhere with it and give up anything for it? If not, then you're not part of the movement because a movement moves. Are you moving with this message for the message? Now, there are 
no such thing as someone who really believes the gospel and sits on the sidelines. Do you hear me? There is nobody who can say that they really believe the gospel, but they don't do anything about it. There's no such person. The apostles had been captured by the message, have we? Number two, number two, they weren't only just arrested by the message, but I want you to get this and write this down because this is the hardest part about being a Christian. This is the hardest thing that I think that, 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 we, that we have to do, but it has to be done if we're really going to be part of this, this movement, this message. Does it really mean as much to us as we say it does? Do we really care about Jesus? Do we really care about God's word? Do we really care about the lost? Do we really care about one another? And because here's what we have to do if we're going to be part of that movement that cares. So number two is we are to yield to the Holy Spirit's leadership. Write it down. We have to yield to the Holy Spirit's leadership. You know what that means to yield, right? You, you come to a yield sign, and you, have to, and you have to give caution. You have to give the right away for that person going along the other street. You have to yield. You have to stop. You have to let that other person go. And whether there is someone there or not, you're supposed to look and yield, right? And so what this is saying to us as Christians is, is that we have to stop our lives for God's life. We have to be the witnesses, um, um, you know, in our lives for his sake, and we have to give up ourselves. We have to yield to the Holy Spirit and to the Holy Spirit's leadership. Again, this had to be the strangest scene in the New Testament after laying on these, this great, after Jesus laying this great commission on these apostles. And listen, never had a more important assignment been given to a lesser qualified group of people. Can I have an amen? I, I want you to get this. Because they had to yield. Because these disciples are now, these apostles, these were fishermen, tax collectors. These were nobodies that wasn't qualified for anything. I'm sure that there was thousands of excuses that they could use. But here's a point. Everybody listen to me. Listen if you'll just yield to the Holy Spirit of God, there's nothing that you can't do. I want you to look at this text, and it wasn't, it wasn't, and I have it on the screen for you, it wasn't, it was, it was never about what the disciples or the apostles could do for God. It was never what they could do. It was always about what God could do through them to the Holy Spirit. But they had to be yielded. I mean, these were unqualified people in our eyes. And again, the, it, it says here um, that, he, that this word began means that something had been started and the church is to continue what had began, which was Jesus. And in Acts chapter 1-8, he tells them to wait for the Holy Spirit. And so he's trying to show them that he's not something that they can, that it's not something they can do but it's something that he can do through them. Jesus began it, and he continues through us. Now, I want you to see this, that in every chapter of Acts, you'll get this sense that the church is simply following the Spirit. Okay, I want, you to, I want to give this to you. Because the reason they were successful was because they yielded. 
And this is the real mover, you see. It's the Holy Spirit that's the real mover. He's working in people, and they simply yielded themselves to him. Let me ask you, have you ever yielded yourself to him? The book of Acts has no real ending. Have you noticed that? If you go back, if you go to the very end, it has no real ending. That's because the movement has just begun. Everybody? The Spirit of God is moving you into people's lives to complete this great commission. So believers, listen, Christian, I want you to read Jesus' promise in verse 8, and I want you to direct it to your personal self. Look at it real quick and insert your name in there. But, but, Ron Fox ye shall receive power. Danny, ye shall receive power. All of us shall receive power. We've got to yield ourselves to it. Now, there's two ways I want us to identify that the Spirit's power comes upon us. Number one, I think, is spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts. And we won't talk about that very, very much, but every believer has been given at least one gift. And, and I'm sure that you've received multiple gifts. But, but that's how we know the Holy Spirit comes upon us, right? is that we have certain gifts, things like hospitality, teaching, serving, whatever it may be. God has given us these gifts, and these are ways that we are to touch other people with Jesus Christ. Again, the gifts that God gives us is never meant to build us up. They're given to us so we can use them to touch other people, to move the gospel so that other people can know about Jesus Christ. Amen? So number one is we can know that we have the spirit by, by the spiritual gifts. And number two, number two, the second thing the spirit of God did for these believers beyond giving them the spiritual gifts is that he empowered each of them. Listen close, because I'm going to get a lot of bad looks here. You ready? To testify. Did you know that? So I saw, I saw a couple of twitches like I'm going to have a spaz attack here. But, but, do, you, but do you understand that, um, that one of the ways in which God fills us, yes, are spiritual gifts, but the other way that he, that he shows that he fills us is when we testify, is that when we witness. The Holy Spirit does a lot of things, but the main thing and here's where a lot of the church is, is, and the reason they're not part of the movement is, is because they don't do this. But the main thing the Holy Spirit does is fills people to witness. But you got to yield yourself for God to work through you to be a witness. In fact, anytime you see someone filled with the Holy Spirit, they proclaim the word of God to others. I'm going to prove it to you. Turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 1, verse 15. Luke chapter 1, and I'm going to use a lot of scripture here, and I'm not going to have you turn to all of them, but I just at least want you to see, you know, to see this one. Luke chapter 1, verse 15, and again, filling of the Spirit Filling of the Spirit here is always going to come out here. The filling of the Spirit in our heart, it's always going to be seen through our witness, our testimony. Okay? And I want to show you that. This is, this is 
one of the main ways the Holy Spirit fills us, but we've got to yield, be less of ourselves and full of the Holy Spirit. Luke chapter 1, verse 15, it says, John the Baptist being what? Being filled with the Spirit proclaims the coming of the Lord. Luke chapter 1, verse 41. Luke chapter 1, verse 41. Elizabeth being filled with the Spirit proclaimed blessings over Mary. You see it? You see the, you see the thread here? Luke chapter 1, verse 67. Zechariah being filled with the Spirit prophesied about the coming glory of Jesus. That word prophesied means foretell. It means that he told other people. Acts chapter 4, verse 8. Acts chapter 4, verse 8. Peter is filled with the Spirit. Peter is filled with the Spirit and preaches to the rulers that Jesus is their only hope of salvation. He, he told the rulers that Jesus is the only hope of their salvation. How did he do that? It says that he was filled with the Spirit. That means that Peter yielded himself and he said, God, I'll do whatever you have me to do. And because he yielded himself, God used him and he prophesied or he foretold to these rulers that Jesus Christ is the only way for salvation. He witnessed. Acts chapter 4, verse 31, the disciples are filled with the Spirit, and they speak the word of God boldly in the face of severe persecution. You see, the Holy Spirit, when yielded the Holy Spirit, one of the ways you know that you are yielded or that you are filled is that when you're witnessing for him, when you're living for him, Acts chapter 9, verse 20, Paul is filled with the Spirit, and he immediately begins to preach in the synagogues. Do you see the pattern? I mean, when I did the word study on this, I found 37 verses in the Bible in that when, 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 we, when, when someone witnesses Jesus Christ, it says that they were filled with the Spirit because they were yielded to the Spirit of God to prophesy, to witness about Jesus Christ. Now, I'm going to give you a little story. Darn it. I'm going to give you a little story. Um, my wife, Tommy, you know, the, the, she, she's an awesome lady. Ever, amen? And, 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 so, and so she got to speak a few weeks ago at the, at the Women's Business Association, and she was so nervous. But, um, but um, when she spoke, um, um, she, let them, she told them her secret. And she said, and she told them, she says, uh, she told him, she says, uh, you know, I'm a realtor, and I love being a realtor. She says, but I got to be honest with you, I'm a, I'm, I'm, there's, there's something else more important to me. And this is what she told all these women in this, in this thing. And she says, she says really, my desire is, is, that, is, that, is that I want to witness Jesus Christ to everyone that I come into contact with. She told him, she says, I'm really a, she told him, I'm really a secret agent. Yes, I'm a realtor, but, 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 but my, but, but, but my real thing I want to do is, is I want to witness Jesus Christ. And you know what? She does that, you know, to get up in front of those, how many, you know, dozens of women or hundreds of women and, and to witness to them, she was yielded to the Holy Spirit to be a witness. Do you see it? Do we see you know, I, I think that we can come up with so many excuses when it comes to this. But if we're going to be part of this, we're going to, if we're going to care, we're going to be part of this movement. And, and, and we're going to have to understand that one of our responsibilities is, is to be a witness. Now, there are many excuses people use, and just a couple of them is, is um, people say, I don't have what it takes. 
Yes, you do. If you're converted and born again, you have the Holy Spirit. You've just got to yield yourself. You do have what it takes. I think another excuse, is, excuse people use is they say, it's, they say it's not my gift. You know, yeah, there are a few people with the special gift of witnessing, but the truth is, is that when we're yielded to the Holy Spirit, we all have that gift of witnessing and witnessing the glory of Jesus Christ. Amen? Another excuse we, we sometimes use is, um, I don't have time. Right? That's baloney. We got time for everything else. We can make time for Jesus. That was a little loud. But, um, right? That's just a horrible excuse. Another excuse we might use is, uh, uh, you know, talking to other people about Jesus makes me feel weird. Anybody ever use that one? I don't know about that. I, that makes me feel kind of weird. Well, well, picking your boogers and eating them is kind of weird, too. <laughs> and I've seen a few of you do it in this service so far. Just kidding around. Just kidding around. But, but, but you know what? Yeah, it may feel a little weird. But when you yield yourself to God's spirit, hey, listen to me. That, that goes away. Amen? Here it is. So there's two core principles that started this movement and that helped this movement to be successful. Of course, we know that God did it. But number one is that they, that they were arrested in their minds and hearts because of the message. And number two, they yielded themselves to the leadership of the Holy Spirit. So in light of that, here's how... We see our church, and that is we want to be a movement and willing to grow, a congregation with an arrested belief in the message yielded to the Holy Spirit. We never want to become just a Christian ministry that takes care of our own needs or, or a place that people attend. It's why the Bible says that we are sent because there's supposed to be movement. Do you see it? We are sent to this local church. And that means that there's supposed to be movements. Are you engaged? Are you moving? Are you moving? I come across this quote, and let's put that up there. I think it's the last one. And it says, every Christian here is either a missionary or an imposter. And if you're not part of the movement your hearts haven't been arrested, and if you're not yielded to the Holy Spirit, and if we're not moving with the message, then if you're not a missionary, you're just an imposter. Because we're not a country club. Just like these disciples in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, this, this same command is given for us. And it tells us to go into the whole world and be witnesses unto him in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the, war, of the earth. And if we're going to do that, we've got to move. We've got to witness. We've got to minister. Amen, everybody? So, again, we're in our series, We Care. And, and as we care about others and as we care about the lost,
we have to remember that really we have to care about the message and that we propagate and move with that message. Amen? And that's for all of us. All right? Let's, let's pray. Father, we love you. And Lord, we thank you for Jesus Christ as our Savior. And Lord, we thank you for the truth that we have. And we understand, Father, that uh, the message of, of Jesus, the gospel, the good news, that it should arrest our hearts and our minds. And that it's worth giving up anything for. It's worth changing our jobs. It's worth changing the cities that we live in. It's worth everything. And Lord, I pray that our minds and hearts are arrested in such a way that we're compelled to yield ourselves to the Holy Spirit as you lead us, Father, to whatever it is you'll have us to do. Lord, I pray for our great church here with 90 years of, of being in Decatur. Lord, just, um, just that you'll give us the strength and the power and that most of all, that the conviction um, that we're to yield ourselves and continue the movement that this church has been involved in for all these 90 years and that we can continue to be a lighthouse, not only here in Decatur, but in Wise County and in Texas and to the uttermost parts of the earth. And that through the missionaries that we that we support spiritually and financially, Lord, that uh, we can just carry out the Great Commission and that we're always propagating and moving and, Lord, that anything that we can give or sacrifice is worth it all. Lord, I pray for uh, just everyone here this morning that you'll anoint us with your spirit. And, Father, I pray if there's one here that has never accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior, Lord, that uh, you'll convict their heart and they'll come this morning and accept you. We give you praise for it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Stand with me, would you?